Hi, how are you? Welcome to episode three of The Good Enough Human, a lifestyle podcast from the team at We Are Chester. In this episode, we chat to Chester-based playwright Gail Young about her experiences of adapting her work practices throughout the pandemic. Gail is a prolific published playwright, with a number of her plays having been performed all over the world. They've even been translated into Russian. Gail, who is also an accomplished director, is currently working on a new project, the rather appropriately titled Waiting which is a play focusing on the experiences of a family in Liverpool during the Blitz in the Second World War. I reckon we can all relate to the concept of waiting right now. She's certainly been keeping busy during lockdown. Let's find out more about what she's been up to. But just to give you a bit of a taster, she's looked at some fascinating and gritty subjects through the course of her play writing work from Alzheimer's and coping with the aftermath of a relationship breakup to the impact that a serious illness like cancer can have on our lives. She's certainly got a keen eye for all of the quirks of human nature and even in tackling the most serious of subjects, Gail still manages to balance this by finding the humour in amongst some of the darkest situations, which is something many of us are trying to do during this particularly challenging um, period in time. Anyway, over to Gail. And we're here for episode three of the Good Enough Human podcast and Circulate Radio Show. Um, we've got a very special guest today. I'm delighted to say that we have uh, none other than Chester-based playwright Gail Young, playwright and director, I should say. Um, very, very accomplished. And um, we have watched um, many of her um, bodies of work and totally in awe. And we thought it would be really interesting to have a chat, especially at this unique, extraordinary moment in time, and to see um, how she is, how she copes, um, and to find out a bit more about her craft of playwriting, because we're fascinated, aren't we? So welcome, Gail. Well, thank you for such a wonderful introduction, Angela. I feel slightly frightened now that I'm not going to live up to it in this interview. Not at all. Not at all. No, we're, we're really chuffed to have you here on the uh, on the show. Thank Thanks. you. Yeah. So I think over to you, Paul, for the first question. Thank you, Angela. Well, what I've been really curious about, Gail, is sort of where, where do you draw your inspiration from your plays from? I, I know are, are they sort of um, circumstances you've you've experienced or you, you know people who've experienced them um, or where, where, where do the ideas from for, for the plays come from? Well, they do tend they do tend to come from either personal life or uh, observations I've made about circumstances in other people's lives. Um, so, for instance, if you go back to Cheshire Cats, that was I walked in the moonwalk in London, and that's what inspired me to write that play about women doing a charity walk at night. Um, so that was very personal to me. Plus, my mother had died of breast cancer, so that you know as well. Um, 
made me want to write the play. But then Bothered and Bewildered about Alzheimer's. My father-in-law had had it, but that was a bit too close to home for me to write about. But a good friend, her mum, sadly, had it as well. And when her mum actually went into a home, um, I asked Leslie and her sister if they'd mind if I interviewed them, uh, you know, in, in, with the idea being that I was going to write a play about Alzheimer's. So that's where the idea and the inspiration for Bothered and Bewildered came from. Um, Bouncing Back, which is about a gang of netballers. One of my sisters is a netball coach. One of my sisters was a PE teacher. So I wanted to write about women in sports and I wanted it to be a bit... Uh, a bit more light-hearted than bothered and bewildered and so I had loads of contacts in the world of netball and I think netball is a woman's sport and I do tend to write plays that focus on women or I had up to that point so that made me want to write about that. Um, Head Over Heels which is about silver splitters divorcing. Um, sadly my marriage came to an end after 36 years uh, and after I'd had some time to sort of reflect on it all uh, I just that's it. I had to write about it. So I wrote a play about that. So I'm glad to say I managed to find a lot of comedy to write about in it. It is a really, and funnily enough, I was editing that play today and I, I actually did burst out laughing a couple of times. I, it is funny. I say it myself. That's a funny play. Um, and then the last one I've written, about, uh, Waiting, about um, a Carter's family in Liverpool in World War II. That's based loosely on my mum's family and my granddad who was a Carter in Liverpool through World War II. So they do tend to have a, a very personal edge to them. Although I have a feeling the next play I write won't have such a personal edge to it. Um, uh, because you can only write about things that affect you and your family and your loved ones so much. And then you have to spread a bit further afield. But up to now, it's served me well, I think. I think it's been, uh, I've written about what I know. Let's put it that way. Yeah. And I'm I'm intrigued, Gail, as well about you know the the whole idea of being a playwright and the gift because I, I think it's such a, an immense gift to be able to um, breathe life into lots of different characters and come up with different authentic voices. How on earth do you begin to go about doing that? Well, it's other people's voices that you reproduce. I find you, you uh, for instance, when I was writing Bothered and Bewildered, the two sisters that I probably over the space of six months, interviewed once a fortnight and just, uh, it's their voices coming out through me, if, that, if, if you like, because when I'm interviewing them, I'm writing loads, of, as they're talking, I'm writing masses of stuff down. Um, and even though you're coming up with a plot line yourself, um, and Barbara Carton was introduced into that play because their mum liked romantic literature and all that sort of thing. Um, ditto with like Bouncing Back, I. Uh, shadowed the girls and a newly sort of forged netball group, uh, women returners to netball, and just acted as a fly on the wall at training sessions and things like that. So you do you do pick up a remarkable amount of um, not necessarily every word of dialogue, but certain certainly sort of phrases that stay with you or the way someone expresses themselves stays with you, and you do reproduce that in your work. Really, I think I do anyway. Yeah. Which is why lockdown is quite hard, because you're not out there listening to other people speak. I think playwrights, people who write plays, and write screenplays, do really need to be in places where they're hearing other people's voices a lot. And although you can sit and watch Netflix till the ends of the earth in lockdown and things like that, <laughs> that's not authentic people's voices you're listening to a lot of the time. You're listening to someone else's script. Um yeah, I really miss that in lockdown, that, that, that thing that you can't mix with that wide variety of people and listen to their voices, yeah. 
I was actually just thinking, Gail, uh, are there any of the characters in your plays that, that you'd really love to play yourself? I know you've done a little bit of acting in the past. Are there any of the characters, yeah. you think, or, or are there any parts that you've written that you've, you've sort of written with yourself in mind? <laughs> I was actually in the very first, in Cheshire Cats, when it was first uh, staged, I was in the first uh, production. That I, I, I just intended to direct, but sadly one of the girls was poorly and she had to drop out before we actually staged it the first time in Guild Sutton Village Hall. So, um, so I stepped into the role of Hillary because I knew the lines Back with, you know, I knew them inside out. It wasn't hard for me to step into that role. Uh, and I, I, I love acting. I absolutely adore it. I really like to act, um, but I've done a lot more directing as I've got older. Um, so, yes, yeah, so I, I, was, I was in the Edinburgh Fringe in Cheshire Cats as well. So I would, that's one play that I was actually in. Um, bothered and Bewildered. If I was going to pick a part, I'd like to be Barbara Cartland in Bothered and Bewildered. <laughs> be uh, I don't know if I'm fit enough to be a netballer in, in uh, Bouncing Back. Uh, I think you need a slightly younger profile than me in that play uh, to make to do it justice with all the netball moves and everything. Um, and Head Over Heels, obviously, the lead character that uh, Eileen Rising played, um, Jill. Yeah, naturally. Gosh, that's basically about me. So I, I would love to play that part. Um, but I, I, I really enjoyed directing that first go at one of my plays. I'm a bit um, possessive, if you like, of the script at that point and uh, would rather direct it myself and get what I want out of the actors. And then I'm happy for it to go on its way then and other people direct it and do their version of it. But that very first time, I think, because I've done such a lot of directing, I'm quite possessive and I, I want to have that first shot at it. Uh, and mm, I, I actually, with Waiting, for instance, which is the latest play I've written, I feel like um, I might feel brave enough to step back and let somebody else direct it. And I might just be these, like, you know, I don't know, what, what would you call me? Uh, a script consultant or whatever I don't know something like that but I, I think it's time for me to uh, to have the confidence to just let somebody else do it the first time direct it the first time yeah uh, that, that's it's fascinating to get this insight into it and um, I'm also intrigued Gail as to was there a moment in time going back a few years ago where you suddenly got the idea oh I think I want to write plays. I'm, I'm fascinated. How did it all come about? How did it start for you? Um, I, don't, I mean, I'm an old dear now. To hark back to my school days seems ridiculous. But I always was really good at creative writing at school, and I loved it. It wasn't a stress to write an essay. Never has been. It's been a joy. So, um, but then, uh, like, work intervenes and family and children and all that jazz. And that, but really... It was, I was not inspired to write a play until I'd actually walked the moonwalk. And I think because it was so emotional, it, it was a, it's a, it's a strange event in, in that it's a very emotional event because most people are walking in it because of somebody they love passing away or having suffered from breast cancer. Uh, but it's also a very funny event in that you have a lot of laughs while you're on it. So it's a real roller coaster of emotions in that event. And, uh, and that basically um, inspired me to write that play. And I didn't do it until a few months afterwards. I didn't come home and start writing straight away. I just thought, that's probably about six months later. I just thought, I, you know, I, I said I was going to write a play about it. Come on, do it. 
So I just started writing it. Um, and Cheshire Cats emerged. It's, it's, I think it's a bit of a weird, writing creatively, I think is quite odd in that um, you, you have, I mean, I had a lot of material because I've done it and I knew the girls I'd been with, I had characters to base it on the storyline, all that sort of thing. So I had a lot of concrete stuff to work with. But I do find that when I'm writing a play that quite often two hours will pass by and I think it's five minutes. Does that sound strange? Like it, it's just that you think, where's that time gone? And you can't believe that you've sat and written for two hours. It's an odd, and sometimes, you know, a whole morning and you think, it seems to go very, very fast when the creative juices are flowing. I think it all works. It's a very fast process for me when it kicks off, yeah. So I, I, I think it's a mix of, I don't know, some sort of innate creative abilities coupled with, you know, factual information that you're gathering. I think, I think researching the subject that you're going to write about is really important because that gives you a lot of confidence to write about that topic with some sort of uh, feeling that, yeah, I'm doing the right thing, you know. Because like Bothered and Bewildered, I was really pleased when that was first stage that a lot of health professionals came to watch it who worked in the care sector and they all came up to me afterwards and said you got that right and that meant a lot to me that meant a massive amount to me because I was really worried that they might they may not feel that way that I hadn't got it right about writing about somebody with Alzheimer's but they all all the people who came up to me anyway said that I, I'd actually actually got it right and I think that's because I took my time with the girls and who would be talking about their mum a lot and the situation they've gone through. Um, so I think all that research gives you a solid platform to, to launch yourself from and then start you know, start writing your script. Yeah, That's an absolutely fascinating process. It's really lovely to have that insight, Gail. Um, well, one thing I, I've been intrigued with, with the success of Cheshire Cats, is how many countries has it now been performed in? I've lost track. Do you know what somebody said to me at the beginning of uh, beginning of Cheshire Cat's journey from Chester? Uh, you should have a world map and you should put little flags in wherever it's been on. A, and I went, oh, no, 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 I'm not doing that. I've got time to do that. I really wish I'd done that now, Paul. I really wish that I had done something like that because it would have been quite fascinating. But it's been on well, all all over the UK, then and Ireland and all the rest of it, and. Uh, New Zealand likes it. There's been on quite a lot in New Zealand. Uh, America, I think, has been on three times in America. Uh, um, Dar es Salaam was the one that tickled me the most when it was on there because, but it was an expat society that I think that put it on. Um, but that really, I loved the fact that it was on there. I, that really amused me. But it has been put on here, there, and everywhere. And of course, it was translated into um, Belgian, a, a Belgian guy saw, uh, wanted to translate it for uh, into um, whatever the Belgian language is, I'm not quite yeah. sure. Um, and uh, so it's been put on there a lot and they did a massive fundraising tour for cancer research in that country. They did a tour of about 20 venues when they first kicked it off over there. But subsequently it's probably been on about 10 times over there. Um, and I always think I must go over and watch it because when I see the photographs, they, people they'll send me photographs they've touched and when I see the photographs I know exactly what scene they're doing because I can tell by the photograph <laughs> so it wouldn't matter that I, I don't speak the language I can just sit in the audience and I know by the set oh this is where we're up to this is where we're up to so um yeah yeah but yeah it's great it has really it is a worldwide um play and I think that's great I think it's great that all the 
places that it's been on. People have raised money for cancer research, uh, or for breast cancer research, which is which is wonderful. Yeah. That's absolutely tremendous. And I was interesting that it's actually been translated into other languages as well, as far as you know, at least one other language at the moment. Yeah. So that, that's amazing. Well, I, I went bothered and bewildered at first. Uh, some chap wanted to translate it into Russian. And, um, but he wanted to change quite a few things. Um, the, the chap who's, who's translated into Belgian uh, was pretty good. He, he sort of stuck with the original, but the chap from Russia, uh, I think there were a few too many changes in my liking. So I said no in the end of that one, but there you go. Gosh, absolutely fascinating. Um, and if we can turn to, obviously, um, you can't avoid thinking about it or talking about it at the moment but we are living through an extraordinary moment in time we're mm. going through a pandemic and this has impacted on our lives in so many different ways it's it's absolutely heartbreaking um you know when you look at the news mm. and see see how it's impacting on families um i mean how how are you coping gail as a as a playwright to continue with your craft through this has it impacted on your work yeah, I think, I think uh, probably with great difficulty. It's quite hard, actually, because, for instance, um, TikTok were really kind and let me um, do some readings of uh, big extracts from Waiting, which was great because that's the first time I've heard that script read out loud by actors. So I think the first half of the play went reasonably well in that, uh, you know, the actors were okay and the kids were great, the three children in it and the, well, the children were great. That side of it went okay then we did the next big extract from uh, the second half of the play uh which didn't flow as well for various sort of technical reasons and really um but it was still good to hear it read out loud let's put that in. i'm very very thankful for that being done but i think uh i've reached the stage of that play where i literally cannot go any further with it until it's in a rehearsal room um until people are moving around and um, saying it like they mean it, etc. You know, it, it just it, that is as far as it can go. Uh, so uh, the only other way to, to do something with it would be to start writing something for radio, which I've not reached. I've, I've sort of hung on to the belief that we're going to come out. We are going to come out of this. Fine. <laughs> this is my hope for by the autumn. So fingers crossed, everybody. Um, but the nice thing is that even in the midst of all this, people are still reading plays because, for instance. Um, I've had quite a lot of inquiries about Head Over Heels, which hasn't been published yet. Um, I was doing some more editing on that today, so I'm going to resubmit it to the publishers tomorrow. Um, but I've got four groups that I've read it that want to stage it in the autumn, which is great. Um, I had a couple of groups that read it, and it's got a fair bit of Anglo-Saxon um, language in it, swear words, which <laughs> some groups weren't that enamored with but that's the place so I'm, I'm not changing it is that's that's what it is but the great thing is uh, four groups that have read it out of about six or seven said yeah we, we definitely want to stage it so so there are groups are still thinking ahead and still want to read stuff even though they're not actually in a situation where they can actually stand up and perform it so it's nice to see that that's still happening yeah, and I, I like your positivity there. I think we all hope, don't we, so much that we will start to see a return to yeah. some semblance of normality and, and to one day be able to return and go to the theatre together yeah. and chill out. And that, and that's it, that's it. And it's, and, and, and it's really, uh, I tend to write plays that have lots of sound effects in, uh, minimal sets, sound effects and lighting produce all the atmospherics, if you like. That's hard to do in just a reading, 
especially about something like World War Two, which is you know, bombs going off and goodness knows what happening sound wise. Um, and, and really in the theatre, that's where a lot of the magic comes from is the technical effects and to me I, I mean a lot of people hate technical rehearsals I absolutely love them but that's when a lot of the magic hits the stage I mean the actors are already doing their bit but that's sort of stardust if you like happens at that moment and uh, and I really miss that aspect of um yeah writing because because I do direct as well so to, and that's how, when I'm writing I I am visualizing a lot what this will look like yeah, or, 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 or I can hear it. I think this is what this is going to sound like at this point. And all of that side of it is just dead on the page at the moment. It's there, but it's not being actually uh, transformed into a stage play. Yeah. That sounded really miserable then, didn't it? <laughs> <laughs> no, not at all. Hopefully before long, you will be able to see your, uh, your work develop. You. And, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we can't wait. <laughs> Absolutely. Well... Well, I was just going to sort of lead into what you were talking about about with with waiting, Gail. Did you, you know, you, you spoke about you, you'd love to see it staged at some point. Is that your next sort of big project, or do you have something else that you're itching to, to get yeah. on? I'm really itching to get waiting on stage because uh, I, I started writing that play a long time ago now, when I was on the playwright program with the Everyman Theatre, and so I did sort of like the first draft of it when I was on that program. Uh, which was like less than a year and then and then I did the masters in screenwriting and when we got to a full-length screenplay I thought you know what? I'd really like to convert that into a screenplay because you can do so much more with it and it's a, sort of an epic story in lots of ways so so I really enjoyed doing that but then when all this happened in lockdown etc I thought what would I really like to do I thought I'd really like to make the stage version as good as it as I can make it, uh, and so I went back to it and I made a lot of changes and uh, rejigged it, etc. And it's it's you know, and that has been re it's been a great pleasure, and I'm really glad that I've got it to the stage and I've got it, and I'm very happy with it. Uh, so yeah, I that's the next logical step, isn't it, to get that on a stage? I really do want to get that on a stage. Um, and I know I've written it, but I think it deserves to be on a stage. And I think it's a, I don't know, I don't know what you you did. Thing. but I think it's a subject a lot of people are very interested in World War II that's my grandmother's era and my mum and dad's era when they were young and so uh, I think a lot of people can relate to that story and uh, I know when we actually did the reading one of the mums of one of the young girls who played one of the children in it uh, said to me um, when we were doing the Zoom sort of reading she said it was lovely because she'd been able to go over the history of it with her daughter and talk about relatives who'd been in World War II and she held up a picture I think it was of the girl's great-granddad and I found that really touching actually and she felt like her daughter had learned a lot about the family's history through being involved in the play and I think that's um I think that's a great thing you know, I hope I would hope lots of kids do come and watch it with their parents because I think it's a it is a play that families can come and watch together yeah I mean it, it would be so lovely wouldn't it you know to as you say to to have a family there and the grandparents perhaps were, were you know were, my, my dad for example was born during the war remembers yeah. the war very clearly remembers the bombers going over mm -hmm. you know standing in the backyard with, with his mum and dad and 
um, what, watching the German bombers going yeah. over, shot, shot in North Wales where, where he lived, heading to Liverpool yeah. and areas in North Wales that they used to set fire to. So the German bombers would actually think that Liverpool had been bombed and they would turn I, I, back. Hopefully that, that yeah. was all, the, all part of the subterfuge, if you like. And he that's remembers right. all that very, very clearly. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, you, wouldn't, you would not forget something like that, would you, Paul? And I think um, what struck me was, and I was talking before about doing research, although I knew my family's story, my mum's story, they were, the kids were all evacuated to North Wales. My grandmother was a class, really had to work all through the Second World War down the docks. They were getting bombed to Kingdom Come at certain points etc um but when i went and did the research i mean i went over to uh, the library of st george's hall and went through the archive material photographs there and um i found that quite emotional actually because the photographs it just looked like syria you know the pictures you see of syria bombed kingdom come the buildings or it was just horrific um and I, there were lots of these pictures and I, I found that even though I knew it would be like that when I sat and stared at them all and I thought that is and that, listen, in 1945 I was born 10 years after that my mum's family lived through that you know and you, you think and yet that they've managed to they managed to come up you know, stand up dust themselves off and, and start all over again which is what the city had to do along with a lot of other cities in the UK so I think it's a story worth telling and I and I really wanted to tell it so um and I'm glad I have I'm really glad that I have yeah um, I'm proud of it <laughs> I'm I'm absolutely intrigued I can't wait to see this um and I love a bit of gritty social history as well and I, I feel like I've got relatives from Merseyside and North Wales and I can kind of imagine what it, yeah like you say what the heck it must have been like to mm. live through that prolonged uh, wartime experience and and having to go to air raid shelters and things so that's it and that, I mean and that's why I called it waiting because um when it, I wanted to write about the civilians, not the soldiers, uh, because I think the soldiers' stories are told many times over, and quite rightly so. Uh, civilians' stories less so in lots of ways. So, uh, and because my granddad, uh, he tried to join up, but he was told he, he had um, he wasn't allowed to because of a medical condition, and so he was left on the home front, you know, but he was still working on the docks over deal, still fighting the battle, still keeping supplies going. Um, but they were all waiting. They were waiting for the end of the war. The kids were in North Wales. They didn't know when the kids were going to come home again. And it reminds me a bit, actually, of the situation we're all in now. We're all waiting for the end of something we can't control. You know, people can't see their relations. I mean, the good thing nowadays is we can Zoom them and all the rest of it, but you can't physically see a lot of them. Um, so there's that, I think there's lots of similarities in, in um, how families feel in current times that, that sort of strike, strike a chord with what went on then in lots of ways. I mean, I know we're not getting bombed, but we've got, we've got um, how can we put it, uh, an enemy that we can't see at the moment, um, but there's an enemy there and we are all sort of waiting and we are, not able to determine our own destiny in many ways at the moment so i think one of the lines of them the mother 
uh, of the young kids in the plane says, the government, the government, if I hear one more bloody word about the government. And I, and as I wrote it, I realised I was writing about our government. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, God, this is this all my feelings coming out at the moment about the government. But, um, but it's not, it's just, people are so sick of being dictated to all the time, aren't they? And But we've got to, we've got to do as we're told. But in a way, you, you, you rebel against it a little bit inside. Um, so, yeah, I think there's lots of themes in that play that will resonate with people. Yeah. That's very poignant indeed. And I mean, sorry um, to interject, Paul, if you're dying to ask another question, but can you tell us a little, without, without giving too much away, can you tell us a little bit more about waiting? Yeah. Um, well, we start, it starts at the, in May 1939. So um, so it's pre, just pre the World War II starting in in the in the uh, September and so uh, but really we're sort of being introduced to Peter and his family and he's a carter married to Jesse got three kids uh, just a working man in Liverpool and his brother David is a seaman um, etc his, his mum was widowed in World War One so she brought two lads upon her own and now we've got World War Two going to start so it's a build up to World War Two and then World War Two kicks off the kids are evacuated immediately into North Wales much against Jessie's wishes she wanted to go she tells Peter if anything happens to them I'll never forgive you etc um and it's quite I mean really they were they were evacuated then and uh there's quite a long time span between them being evacuated and the blitz happening because the uh what I wanted to focus on a lot was the Christmas blitz in Liverpool and then the the May blitz in Liverpool which when a lot of lives were lost etc um I don't want to give all of it away but there's some pretty I mean sad there's some sad there's two deaths in it which is affects the family quite severely there's a lot of um, there's a lot within it about communication because then people could only communicate with loved ones by letter, whereas now we've got all sorts available to us. So I'm really pleased about how that's worked out in the play, and it ends after the May Blitz with, um, if you like, a historical voiceover about how many lives were lost, how many people lost their homes, how many people were injured. It's, it's really, it's like a historical ending to it because I. You couldn't write the play about the whole of World War II because it would have gone on forever. So I had to focus it on a certain time span and that's what I've done, yeah. So I'm hoping at the end of it, it's an emotional and a historical journey for people, yeah. Wow, sounds powerful. God, that sounds me. very grand, doesn't it? <laughs> that's what I'm hoping for anyway. <laughs> oh, That's tremendous. But I, I do think if you were to stage that, you know, in, in a theatre in, in Liverpool, for example, can you imagine how many people that would connect with and resonate with? That's going to be an incredibly powerful piece of theatre. It will be. Well, hopefully. But I mean, one of the problems um, post-pandemic uh, probably is going to be finding venues for... I'm not quite sure how it's all going to pan out in terms of how many people you will have in an audience, how that works out financially, et cetera, et cetera. I've actually submitted the play to a competition. Uh, so I'm keeping my fingers crossed. Well, maybe something will come of that. I'll let you know. I'm not quite sure when the results come out of that. Yeah, we'll see. But I think I think it's got a lot of possibilities, and I agree. I do agree with you, Paul. I'm not just saying it because I, I do think it's a subject matter that would attract a lot of people on Merseyside. Yeah, and, and also lots of people in Chester because a lot of people who live in Chester are from Merseyside or have got relations from Merseyside. I think it's it, uh, the northwest as a whole would be interested in that play. Yeah. 
It really resonates, doesn't it? I, I can just sense it's going to be an incredibly powerful piece of work and I, I hope it can go on to the stage um, yeah. as soon as possible um, as the year unfolds and we see how things develop. Yeah, who knows? But it, it resonates so powerfully, doesn't it? Like you say, that analogy you gave, Gail, about um, what we're facing now and that waiting, that central concept of waiting, we are all waiting. Gosh, that resonated mm. with me so powerfully. Okay, so we are starting to run out of time. Um, mm -hmm. as, as usually happens, we're always absolutely fascinated and love our chats. So um, time is running away with us. But is there anything that you'd like to add, Gail, before we, before we finish? Just a shout out really to all my fellow scribblers out there. Don't give up, keep trying, keep on writing. Uh, I think what's great is that we live in a, a time when you can communicate with other people quite easily and um, there's lots of groups out there supporting writers so um, although it's hard times for everybody I think you can still get the support that you need and the encouragement from other writers if you just go out there and seek it yeah keep on trying folks I'll get there in the end I love that positivity yeah yeah yes you can do it yes and then like you're not on your own that's lovely that's yeah. really lovely Paul, before we wrap up, is there anything you wanted to add? I, I just really look forward to the day we can get back into a theatre and watch, you know, a live performance again. I think we're all sort of hankering after that so much. We've all lost, you know, we've all missed it so much. I can't believe, you know, it's nearly, it's nearly 12 months already since I saw the last, my mm. last sort of piece of live theatre. And I do hope, Gail, you know, that you get, you get waiting, you, we're all waiting for waiting, as it were, uh, that you, you get that on soon, because it, it really does deserve an audience. And I hope that, you know, you, you are successful in, in getting a stage, probably, if not next, if not this year, then certainly next year. I do hope so. Yeah, oh, yeah. So, so do I. I second that. Absolutely. Right. Yeah, Thanks, we, cannot, we cannot wait. Thank you so much, Gail, for joining us. Um, we're honoured to have um, spoken to you at some length. It'd be nice to have hours and hours to find out even more. Maybe you can come back and chat to us again when the play is out. Positive thinking mm. now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But thank you so much. Really, really enjoyed it. And we cannot wait to see um, Waiting <laughs> on the stage in the not too distant future. Watch this space, folks. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Thanks again to Gail Young for sharing some insight into her work. You can find out more about Gail's work at her website, gailyoungplaywright.com. Thank you so much for listening. In our next episode, we will be chatting to none other than opera singer Emily from Belle Voci. In the meantime, stay safe and we'll see you soon.